Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantin Kisson. And this is a show for you if you're bored with people arguing on the internet over subjects they know nothing about. At Trigonometry, we don't pretend to be the experts, we ask the experts. Our fantastic guest this week is a journalist and the author of The Great Betrayal, The True Story of Brexit. Rod Lill, welcome to Trigonometry. Thanks so much for asking me. Thank you. It's great to have you. Before I go on, this is the book. Make sure you get it. This is what we'll be talking about. Um, but before before we get into it, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, which is a small number of people these days, uh, just tell everybody, who are you? How are you where you are? What has been your journey through life? Because we always find that quite interesting. All right. Okay, sure. Uh, well, I'm a media whore um, <laughs> and I, uh, I'm a journalist, uh, a hack. Um, a columnist for the Sunday Times, a spectator in the Sun. Uh, I once was a speechwriter for the BBC. After that, I worked for the uh, uh, speechwriter for the BBC. There's a Freudian yeah, I was Speechwriter for the Labour Party. After that, I uh, worked for the BBC uh, and found the illusion between the two very easy indeed, uh, as you can imagine. Um, my point has always been to to say what I think people believe but are too scared to say for reasons of either direct political correctness or indirect political correctness there's a slight difference between the two and also to make people laugh I mean most of my job is to is to is to amuse Um, for that I usually get called a racist and a homophobe uh, because I have made jokes about black people before and indeed gay people but I like to think of myself in a very real sense, as an equal opportunities cunt, <laughs> uh, as someone who will offend everybody, including you know the people I come from up in the northeast of England, um, uh, and people who live in Brighton, especially maybe people who live in Brighton, <laughs> um, uh, and French people, and everybody. You know, they are all in there. I don't think I think everybody has the right to have the piss taken out of them, uh, including me. I think that's a beautiful thing about the French in that people say you can't take the piss out of black people or gay people, but French, it's French fair. is yeah, fine. Yeah, it's yeah. just fine. They deserve it. Yeah, except it changes. You know, it used to be like that about the Welsh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I tried that a couple of years ago. Oh, oh really? Oh, did, it, did it turn nasty? You've got to stop that, Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> they actually called the fucking police. <laughs> You know, it wasn't even, it was one of the least offensive things I've ever said in my life. I happened to mention that there was a paucity of vowels in the, in the Welsh language, which isn't a terribly original observation, <laughs> uh, nor a terribly funny one. And they went, do lally. Mm. And um, uh, the Welsh Language Society uh, said, uh, it's important we must stick to freedom of speech. Freedom of speech is the most important thing. But. So <laughs> <laughs> it's this fucking but. Yeah. We must stop people uh, generating hate about our language. Generating hate <laughs> about your fucking noggin the nog language. <laughs> you, know, you carry on with it, Thomas, and your tank engine. Now that's Isle of Man, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> well, well but, but, one Isle of Man view is now switched off. <laughs> well. uh, sorry about that. But, but one bloke, one bloke it was a, he actually reported to the police and said, can we investigate this to see if this is a race-hate crime, suggesting that there are not many vowels in the Welsh language. And the thing which struck me was that he was actually the police commissioner for North Wales. Oh, wow. Wow. And and he referred it. And presumably, you know, he should have been investigated for wasting police time. Mm. I mean, just... So, So be careful. Within a year or two... 
the French. <laughs> You'll not get away with the French. We'll be left with having to pick on tiny minority countries, you know. What, uh, Cape Verde or something? Yeah, yeah Cabo Verde. <laughs> Ca yeah, Cabo Verde. Um, yeah. You mispronounced the name and that's no, it. No, 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 that's, no, it, that's, well, that's it. it for me. You're that's off the joke. Yeah. I quite like that you clarified that it was one specific Welshman because initially you said they called and I just yeah. had this image in my head of like the whole of Wales. Oh, whole yeah. of Wales. <laughs> no, but of course that's the point. Yeah. And of course that's the yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Because I got loads of letters in from people saying, from, from people in Carmarthen and Cardiff and Rill saying, God, I'm so sorry. Uh, when did we lose our sense of humour? You know. Um, um, so, no, it, of course not. It's that liberal elite with their vested interests who desperately desire a sense of victimhood. Mm. And I suppose they are victims because they're thick as shit. It's <laughs> uh, the important thing, I think. Well, we've started off with what we were going to talk about, about later. Uh, sorry, so why, sorry, but, but, no, why don't we just carry on down this path and carry, get to yeah, Brexit yeah, later? Fine, How about fine, that process? Fine. Absolutely. So you you say you're an equal opportunities cunt, and when when, when you, and I read your articles in the Times, and I think they're incredibly funny. Has there ever been a point where you've made a joke that actually you look back on you think mm, I shouldn't have said that? That was too far over the line. No, uh, but there's been a an occasion every week without fail where I look at something I've written and think, oh, in the current climate, I shouldn't have written that. Uh, I wonder if the subs will take it out or the editor will take it out. Um, and then I think, nah, you've got to do that. It, you, you, cannot, you cannot be constrained by this stuff. Otherwise, it makes you boring uh, and partisan. And I try not to be partisan in my offensiveness. You know, it's sprayed around liberally like Jimmy Savile would have sprayed around his seed. In the, in the, if I can conjure up that image for you. Uh, which is a pleasant image. I mean, you're right. Uh, what happens, actually, is my wife reads my copy before I send it in. Um, with a glass of wine, and she reads through it, and she's she's for a quiet life. Mm. And she says, Rod, you can't say this. And I said, why can't I? It's true. You know it's true. And it's funny. What's They'll cut it out. And if they don't cut it out, the police will get involved. <laughs> and she's invariably right. But you cannot stop doing that. And yet it is getting more and more the case that you self-police, it gets less funny. Uh, it's, it's, it's more and more the case every week that goes by. I thought we were at something, I mentioned this on a different program before now, I thought that maybe last year we were at something called peak wank. Mm. Um, nah, it's still, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. And do, do you think there's going to be a backlash? Because I talk a lot with comedians. We both do. And w when you look at something like Dave Chappelle has released this new special. <laughs> Chappelle, surely. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it Chappelle? Uh, no, I thought, well, it's Chappelle. I, I, Chappelle. I, I heard him refer to himself as Chappelle. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course there is. Of course there's, there's that. And on the other side, there's Stuart Lee, who, you know, I can remember Stuart Lee ruffling a few feathers by saying that 
<laughs> what's he called? That guy from uh, uh, the driving program that people used Jeremy to watch. Jeremy Clarkson. May. Well, and Peter Hammond. And Hammond. Yeah, Richard Hammond. Richard, uh, Richard Hammond. Hammond. <laughs> yes, that is. Peter Hammond. Peter, who's that? I don't know. Albert Hammond. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That, that he wished he'd died or his children were yeah. blind yeah. or something. Yeah. Which is good comedy. Yeah. Which is good comedy. And comedy coming from the left and driven from the left, um, from the liberal left, I, I wouldn't call it the proper left. I mean, he's a, another fucking public school boy when it comes down to it, brilliant though he is. Um, I think you guys are at the forefront of it. I mean, you, I mean, Constantine, you're the one who has to sign a five-page document mm -hmm. when you go on stage uh, at a university because there are so many things which now are not considered to be funny. Mm. And if I may say so, you may get away with slightly more than I because you come from a from what is called a BM, BME, BME. Yeah, I don't self-identify as BME, though. Yeah, but you are, mate. I identify you as one of them. Well, I would just well, out Maybe I should do this, because that would definitely get me a lot further in my yeah, career. Yeah. It would get you, it would yeah. get you a lot further. Yeah. But, uh, but also, but, but of course, counting against you is that, of course, you're Jewish. Yeah. Uh, and I don't say that lightly, either. Mm. Uh, and, and so, no, you guys are more at the front of it than I am. I mean... But you know, in France's question, this is, I think, what he's getting at in terms of the backlash. Like, I did a show about that contract this, this year at Edinburgh, and it did very, very well uh, with the public and with a lot of reviews. I obviously got a lot of, you know, The Guardian and all these people slammed it. But uh, I got a lot did of... Did they that twat Brian? Brian, yeah. Brian yeah, yeah, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. One star. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I wish he'd given me a one star. What he did is actually he went to see all the non-woke comedians. Yeah, and yeah. instead of giving us a review, he did a whole write-up in which essentially he he wouldn't actually give any of us a review. He just made a few comments about this everybody. This is a man who knows nothing about comedy. Mm. He's a theatre He does critic. not have a single humorous vein in his body. <laughs> it's like Margaret Thatcher being a comedy critic. Mm. But, uh, sorry, go on. So, um, but my point is that those of us, me, Leo, Jeff Norcott, uh, Andrew Doyle, who you might know, who's yeah. the creator of yeah. Titania yeah. McGrath, we all did pretty well, right? So when Francis is asking you about the backlash, do you sense that maybe the peak wank point is coming? Well, no, I mean, in a sense... The reason I don't think there's a backlash, I, I think the people are with us. Mm. I don't have. I think these people who try to stop us and what we say have power without hegemony. Their, their views are not shared by the, the majority of people in the country remotely. Mm. Uh, I, I, but they are I, shared by the BBC commissioning team, and they are shared, shared by, by the, the Channel elite. Four. Right, they're shared by the Liberal elite, yeah. and the people who dictate, mm. the, as you, the words you use, the current climate. Yes, mm. yeah, yeah. Do you know? I had a, I heard a story only yesterday on the BBC. This is kind of where they're coming from. This is Radio Five Live, uh, and it was about some uh, uh, lesbians having a night out, a nice night out. I think it was in Leeds. And a vicious hate crime had been committed, which the police were reluctant to follow up. And Radio 5 Live got themselves very worked up on it. You, you found out what exactly had happened. And some drunk bloke shouted, hello, is this a fat homosexual contingent then? That was it. Mm. It's not a hate crime. And I think when that is broadcast, 
with this sense of outrage. It's a horrible thing to say. Mm. Well, it's not horrible. It's nasty. It's it's pig ignorant. Mm. But it's it, it's not, you know, get in the cattle vans, is it? You know. When that is broadcast as being something about which we should be viscerally outraged, I think the public listen to that and think, what? I, I don't think they are anywhere near where the BBC is on this issue. You know, I, I just don't think they, I think, and this is where it comes into Brexit, mm. where Brexit comes into the picture, which is that there is such a disconnect between this liberal elite and the country, uh, between parliament and the country, but also between the judiciary, the BBC, the civil service, and what we consider the rest of the country. There's just no shared common view of the world. They're at odds with each other. Um, I think they'd go along to your gigs and laugh. I think, I know that they laugh at the stuff I write. Apart from the man yesterday in Canterbury Station. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I enjoyed reading a Facebook update about that. Yeah, I sent it to Francis. We just, both laughed. It's absolutely true. Sometimes. So you just tell everybody what happened. Just well, some, well I, I go into London sometimes and as, as infrequently as possible. Uh, and people come up and say, I really love your stuff. Thank you. Please keep writing it. Um, and that'll be maybe four out of five. But one person will always walk by and go, cunt. Um, and that's fine. Uh, Yesterday at the Canterbury station, I was buying a ticket and a youngish bloke walked by and he just turned to me and went, racist, in that ovine way that they have. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but it, so intent was he in delivering this judgment that he failed to notice a large door in front of him <laughs> and smashed into it, smashed his face into it and smashed his arm on the handle. And I just heard him go, ah! Oh! <laughs> I, I just stood there... If, if it had been appropriate, I would have masturbated his pleasure. Uh, but it, it, would that uh, have been peak wank? That would have been peak wank. That would have really been peak wank. Oh, man. Uh, well, I enjoyed reading that because uh, the instant karma moments, they are enjoyable. But, anyway, but it's, it, it happens quite a bit. Two other occasions in London, both in London. One was when I was getting on, the, on, on, on a tube at Stratford. And it was quite crowded. Tube was about to go. Doors were about to shut. And there was this uh, black lady with two carrier bags. And she couldn't... And the doors were about to shut. I held the doors open for her, took one of the bags and helped her onto the train. And a bloke sitting down nearby said, I wouldn't have expected you to do that. (laughs) 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 Oh, I meant this. It's just utterly bizarre. And there was one other. I was walking with... uh, I was having lunch with Iniak Bunglawala, who was, at the time, uh, the number two or three in the Muslim Council of Britain. Mm. We were having a, a lunch to talk about, you know, Islam and stuff, and so, and I've known him for years. And we were crossing a busy road in, in uh, I think, uh, I think it was Hoban area, crossing a very busy road, and a woman ran through the traffic. So from one of the pavements and ran up to him and tucked on him the sleeve and said, you know who that is, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, so there is this minority mm. which, which, you know, hangs on its every word. Mm. You know, the Owen Jones, the people with the IQ of Owen, 
<laughs> uh, uh, but I think the vast majority of the public just thinks this is uh, an annoying diversion from what we should be talking about. You know, at, at the last election, a bit of polling's been done in the States. Um, political correctness was a really, really big reason why Donald Trump won. Uh, so congratulations, USA. <laughs> well done. <laughs> You've got Donald. Uh, and, you know, so when you talk about a backlash, I think people are averse to it. Um, I don't think they, uh, but whether it's a back, I think they've always been averse to it. They're sick of it. Uh, how that expresses itself in the end politically is a more difficult thing to talk about. Guys, we wanted to tell you we're very excited to say we've got a new sponsor, which is HelloFresh. Uh, indeed, we have. HelloFresh is the UK's leading recipe box service, delivering fresh pre-portioned ingredients and step-by-step -step recipes to your door. It is the easy, convenient way to cook delicious dinners from scratch every single time. Choose your favorites from 19 recipes every week. They have a whole range of options there for you, including recipes that are ready in under 20 minutes. There's family favorites, there's British cuisine, there's world cuisine. HelloFresh are offering trigonometry fans 60 pounds off four boxes. To take advantage of that, go to hellofresh.co.uk Enter our special code, which is, of course, trigonometry, and enjoy delicious dinners without any of the drama. The fresh ingredients come direct from suppliers, i.e. they've been picked by Constantine's family. You, you can tell Francis studied geography at a British school because he can't tell the difference between Russia and Romania. Doesn't matter, mate. Same thing. Brexit means Brexit. <laughs> and the great thing is, it's been pre-portioned for you, so there's no food waste, just like in my home country of Venezuela. The great thing with HelloFresh is that you're going to be able to choose from 19 different recipes every week. So there is something for everybody. You're going to be able to eat with your kids. There's going to be no fuss. Dinner time is going to be solved. Yeah, I really like the rapid box, which allows you to cook things in under, under 20 minutes. Uh, but the great thing about HelloFresh as well is it actually allows you to open up your cooking range. So most households on average have about six recipes that they cook regularly. Uh, HelloFresh has up to 19, so you can kind of expand a little bit in terms of your cooking. And of course, they also don't have a fixed subscription, so there's no term. You can cancel, you can uh, skip weeks, you can change the size of the box, uh, you can change delivery address, you can do all kinds of stuff to suit your life. To enjoy delicious moments, head over to hellofresh.co.uk, choose your box, choose your delivery slot, and add your favorite recipes. Discover the easy way to get delicious dinners from scratch, and if you do that, you'll get sick abs just like me. HelloFresh are offering trigonometry fans 60 pounds off four boxes. To take advantage of that, go to hellofresh.co.uk, enter our special code, which is of course trigonometry, and enjoy delicious dinners without any of the drama. Well, let, let's talk about it because yeah. it's the Brexit conversation. Really, yeah, it? yeah it, well, it is a Brexit conversation. And I, I remember reading one of your articles and you were talking about how it was the morning when the results came through. Leave vote one. And I think it was you who turned to your wife or you, your wife turned to you and said, they're not going to let this go through, are they? Yeah, and no, it was uh, it was Lissy who'd been <laughs> who'd been up all night, uh, what because she's a political junkie and loves elections, and so that was the first night that I was roused from my sleep at five in the morning, 
get up, Rod, get up, Rod, we've done it. And you know, I was, what? done what? Done what? <laughs> three months later, yeah. three months later, I was lying in bed, five o'clock in the morning. Get up, Rod, get up, Rod, he's done it. Who's done it? Donald, mm. oh, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're right. Um, I went, went downstairs, saw the BBC studios where they were, you know, clearly sobbing. Mm. Uh, and no, I, I, I can't remember who said it first, but I said they'll never let it happen. Mm. And I put that up on Facebook. They just won't let it happen. You know, the liberals hate being gainsaid on anything. And so it's not just Brexit. I mean, if you try to get someone who doesn't have liberal views into a position of power, uh, or even a minuscule position of power, such as we saw with Toby Young and Roger Scruton recently, mm. they'll stop that. You know, uh, they're, uh, uh, it's something I call uh, Six Degrees of Shami Chakrabarti. It's a <laughs> game you can play. That um, that all the quangos and institutions, the great and the good institutions, the BBC, uh, uh, the third sector and so on, have this very small coterie of people working for them who are all appointed. I mean, they don't have to go out and turn up for a fucking interview. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they're, they're appointed. We've invited a lot of them and none of them and None of them on. will come on, no. Yeah. Well, I think, Sharmi's, I think Sharmi at one point was on about seven. And you can play Six Degrees with Sharmi Jakarbati just by going through the various quangos mm -hmm. and you can always link them up, you know, like that, like the Kevin Bacon mm -hmm. thing. Um, and Yasmin Alibi Brown, for mm -hmm. example, uh, who is a visiting professor at three universities and is on various boards and so on. Um, uh, those are the people who control our cultural life. Mm. Um, and they will brook no argument. You know, if, if you are not of their bien pensant opinion, you will not get anywhere. I do not know a single socially conservative journalist or right-wing journalist, you know, down-the-line conservative, which I'm not, um, I do not know a single one who has been offered a visiting professorship, who has been asked to be on the board of the National Film Theatre or the Migration Advisory Committee. I could do that job. <laughs> I could do, stop them. Um, th it just doesn't happen. Mm. Paul Dacre. You know, probably the most successful editor that this country's seen for decades. Never, no one ever asked. Fraser Nelson, who's raised the spectators' figures to 85,000, you know, just incredible. Mm. Brilliant journalist. Never asked. None of these people are ever asked. Owen Jones, who is shit as a journalist, um, you know, a seriously awful journalist. There are some good liberal left journalists. Mm. He's not one of them, and nor is Yasmin. Um, I'll tell you a funny story about Yasmin in a second. Well, yeah, no, please do. Um, uh, visiting professor or honorary degrees. I mean, it's just, that is how our cultural life is controlled, you know? And I don't think people like it. I don't think people like it. I don't think people like it either, and I think there's a real resentment to it. 
And the, the problem is, for me, is that a lot of these people live in their bubble where they interact oh, no, with each entirely, other entirely. and all they have is their opinion getting reflected back to them. So when something like Trump or Brexit happens, they're in complete shock. Like, oh, no, you're absolutely right. And that's, that's the thing from the book. Um, um, maybe the only time we'll mention the book, to be honest. But I think it's the most salient of the chapters, which is an awful lot of work was done after Brexit by the horrified, horrified liberal elite saying, who are these ghastly fucking people <laughs> who voted to leave? And so there was demographies and everyone sort of came up with the same thing, which was that they were poorer and less well-educated, which isn't true, nor is it totally true about the poorer stuff. Um, they tend to be northern away from cities, which is true, um, and so on and so on. And yet, when you actually look more closely at the demographic which voted leave, there's nothing really which pulls it together. It's, you know, uh, an amalgamation of people with very, very different views in different parts of the country and different parts of the social strata. You know, I think it's 46% of the AB group, for example, you know, the, the top social group, voted leave. Uh, one in three of university graduates, you know, they wouldn't have won without the university graduates uh, and so on and so on and so on uh, and the young vote, you know uh, It was I think 50-50 um, age 25 to 40 it, it, It's not as simple as they put it, but what there is is a very interesting demographic of a portion of the remain vote now most remainers I suspect are like us like you guys mm. You voted Remain, yeah? Because um, we're good people. <laughs> yeah. You're good people. Yeah. Of course, of course you are. That's yeah. a running uh, joke on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't see colour. <laughs> <don't see> <laughs> but most of us, it was a difficult decision. Mm. And we voted one way or the other. And we can talk about it. And there's not a problem. Mm. And do you know people who voted Leave? And I know people who voted Remain. Most of my friends voted Remain. There is this tranche of the Remain vote. I don't know how much. Looking at the figures, my guess is somewhere between 20% to 30%. Um, I guess they're the 29% th of Remain voters who defriended anyone on Facebook who voted leave. That's an incredibly high amount. That's nearly once, you know, 29% they defriend you just because you had a different opinion to them. And it is, it's the BBC, where my estimate is 94, 95% in favour of, well, no, I, th I genuinely think that's a moderate assessment. I mean, there are other ones. Uh, and you're not just the guy talking, you used to work for the BBC. I used to work for the BBC. I mean, I, mean I, I know one person in the entire organisation who voted leave. And I know three or four hundred people in the BBC, you know. Um, but it's not just the BBC, it's, it's the, the creative industries, you know. Um, Sam West, we're all in mourning. Uh, you can't. Um, it was something like ninety-six percent of the create of, of, of the loveys. Yeah. Um, it was ninety-three percent of academicians, mm. so the people in charge of our universities. It was seventy percent of teachers, and my guess is, and I don't know this for a fact, my guess is approaching ninety percent in the south of the country. And these are people who simply never met anyone. <laughs> they really are like Margaret Thatcher when she was asked about the poor 
Oh, we saw them at the end of the street on occasions. <laughs> they have never actually come into contact with people who voted leave. Uh, they are entirely insulated. And so that when they say, I don't know anyone who voted leave, they mean it and they're telling the truth. And this, this echo chamber that they live in, and this is a great thing about the Brexit vote, that it's exposed this massive divide, this incredible distance which there is between what the American sociologist Charles Murray calls the super elite, what John Gray, uh, a far better writer uh, in this country, calls the hyper-liberals, mm. who simply cannot countenance argument, do not understand where that argument comes from, will categorize that argument as coming from stupidity, ill-education, and xenophobia, whenever it does occur, uh, and are constantly reinforced in their opinions by everyone else they fucking work with. It is remarkable. And Brexit, Brexit deserves a round of applause for <laughs> having opened that to us. Because I don't think it was always there, but I don't think it was ever as clear as it is now. And I think the point you just made is very, very true. And the sentence that sums it up is what I hear all the time from the hyper-liberal Remainers, which are, is... Uh, not everyone who voted leave was racist, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but all yeah. racists voted leave. But you know who came up with that, don't you? No. Um, Billy Cunting Bragg. Um, <laughs> and I wrote at the time, yeah, Bill, yeah. Not all twats buy Billy Bragg records, <laughs> but everyone who's bought a Billy Bragg record is a twat. Uh, I mean, no, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and it was exploded, you know, within very unusually, by the BBC within two months of, of, of Brexit. Uh, I remember uh, Adrian Childs did a piece from Birmingham um, where he just interviewed the people who'd voted leave. And he said, oh, I don't see... Sorry, I can't really do Birmingham. <laughs> um, shall, I, shall I leave the accent aside? Um, I don't see these people as being racist. These people aren't racist. Mm. And I, I didn't see any racism in it at all. Mm. You know... Um, there wasn't an animus against immigration, uh, against immigrants. There was an animus against a process which had allowed untrammeled immigration, mm. number one. Um, there wasn't an animus against Polish people. I mean, fucking hell, they're to the right of us. Mm. <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. um, none of that. It was, no, you know, um, we would like to control our own borders. We think that's a sensible way to go on. Um, and I've never seen the animus towards black ethnic minority, Polish, whatever, that the, the left insists is an integral part of wishing to leave. It just, it's bollocks, absolute bollocks. I'm curious uh, uh, about your position on this whole thing, because as you said before we started the interview, you weren't a particularly ardent leaver. No, You, no. you, you kind of voted to leave on, on, on the balance of things, yeah. but slightly. If you there like. are great reasons to stay in the EU. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, no question about like it. Like what? Well, um, coming from the northeast of England, the amount of money that the EU poured into the northeast of England, which I think, you know, okay, we're now in charge of our finances, we can do it. Will we? Mm. Uh, it's rather good. Um, I think there was something like 120,000 jobs in the northeast, depend upon trade with Europe. Um, but also something else I'm really interested in is uh, science and research. And 
undemocratic though it may be, I think there's something rather good about having certain funding ring fenced from the five-year parliamentary cycle that can go to stuff like the Jet Taurus Lab in Oxford so that we can, you know, maybe find a form of energy which is clean and uh, virtually uh, uh, inexhaustible. Uh, all those things are good. And basically, you know, I am swayed a bit by the notion that peace has reigned in Europe for, mm. for a long time. Um, that was the main reasons I voted to remain. Well, it's, it's a good reason. It's a good reason. You could argue that NATO's part of that, or you could argue the trade deals, uh, that are decent trade. But still, it still seems to me to have some force that, you know, we have had peace. Um, and, you know, contrary to what people like Alistair Campbell and Peter Mandelson would say, uh, I feel European, you know. Uh, I like Europe. I'm particularly Germanophile. Okay, I loathe France. You know, but we, we're not all perfect, are we? You know, um, but I'm, I'm. I adore Europe, and particularly the parts of Europe uh, which have more latterly been enjoined to join the European Union, such as you know Poland, the Baltic states, Hungary, and so on. Um, so I, I adore it. I notice it's my culture. I think that's kind of trumped a, a little bit by. The fact that I also feel British, Anglo-Saxon, and therefore some connection with America. You know, the first time I went to America, I felt at home immediately because it's where the novels I'd read, the music and so on. Uh, and also the Commonwealth for historical reasons and for decent historical reasons. You know, we have a responsibility. And so it was a very, very difficult call. And I thought it was just about, it was just about the, in the end, the thing which won it for me, was the, the European Union's increasingly authoritarian attitude towards countries under its dominion, uh, particularly Poland and Hungary, but also Catalonia, um, it's, and its ever-increasing expansionism, uh, not geographically-wise, but uh, policy-wise, that it wished control over all of us. And I would, I think the nation-state kind of works. It's why I'm a social democrat. You know, I think the nation-state kind of works. It works for us. I can equally see why, if you're Luxembourgish or German, for differing reasons, you may have problems about the nation state and its power. I can get, I get that, but we're not them, mm. you know. And it's the thing that nobody really talks about is how sustainable is the EU, even if we remain within it. Because if you look at the northern European states and the southern European states. I mean, the Southern European states, number one, to put it bluntly, are fucked economically. And because they always they're... fucking were, mate. I wrote a piece for the, for the, for the, for the Spectator about ten, uh, 10 years ago now where I said, what I'd really like is a kind of Hanseatic League. Mm. That's what I'd like, a trading block. And I'd, um, I'd get rid of the Catholics first. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. That's... That's Spain, Italy. Actually, parts of Italy are allowed in. <laughs> Milan is allowed in. Turin? This is, Turin is allowed in. Milan is it's allowed it's, in. It's not really Italian. You go yeah. there, it's like, it's like Austria. It's Germany. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So hard-working northern Protestant people <laughs> uh, and a few Slavs because they're hard-working and clever as well. You know and, what uh, I like about Rod? He gets accused of being racist and a Nazi and his favourite country in Europe is Germany. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's very true. Well, it could be worse. It could be Austria. Because be... that's where the best ones were from. Yeah. Well, actually, Lithuania. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
but no, I, I, it always struck me. It's true about the racism in a way, in that my objections to the European Union back in the 90s were racist. Uh, in that, or, or at least left-wingers would call them racist. What I thought was, much as you've just said, that I don't think that Greece, Italy, and Spain are either culturally or economically in the same area as we are. I would have them form a different block, you know, which is um, nice, easy-going people who go to sleep at midday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and they could have their block over there. Because I, 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 and I, and I think I was right. I don't think that cultural difference has 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 ever been assuaged. I think that's still there. And of course, it was behind the great crisis with Spain and Portugal, the pigs, Portugal, Greece, Spain, and Ireland. <laughs> and Ireland. But... <laughs> yes, okay. I, I'm wondering who's still watching this, who hasn't switched off and unsubscribed. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, and reported. I'm going to be oh, at the train no, station, someone's going to go watch it. Francis, I'm joking, partly. So are we. There is a certain... Of course. Yeah, of course, of course, of course, that's, absolutely. That's the point. But yeah. isn't part of this, okay, and we are joking, of course, but isn't doesn't the euro have to take responsibility mm. in that that currency has been manufactured, created to yeah. suit the Germanic economy, and everybody else who's got, you know, economy de it depends on agriculture and tourism, fuck them. Partly, partly, but the euro was a bad idea. Uh, every single opinion poll in the 1990s, which was about whether we should join a single currency, no. And every single opinion poll in the 1990s about whether we should stay in the EU, always yes. Mm. And, and you can add into the euro the European Central Bank, which is ineffectual, weak, doesn't know what it's doing. Uh, so, yes. Uh, but, but that's the thing. You know, the, the, the rather horrible truth is that one of the reasons I voted leave um, reluctantly was in the hope that if we left... Europe, the European Union might be forced to reform itself a bit and might shift a little bit more along the axis, which I, and by the sound of it, you, mm. would prefer. Now, I think I probably got that wrong, but there has been a change. You know, we have seen across Europe populists from both the left and right. People always forget. People, when they denigrate populists, you know, they, it's fascism, you know, it's, it's Hitler, uh, as everything is sort of deferred to these days, mm. referred to these days. Uh, there's populism from the left. Syriza was populism mm. from the left. There's Chavez. a good... Yeah. Well, and there's a good argument as well that um, the SNP is populism from the left. Mm. Um, and Corbyn, for that matter. Mm -hmm. um, Please don't say anything about sainted Jeremy. He's no. quite remain. He's never been friendly. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's just prodding the bear there. Yeah. Yeah. I just threw that up. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, uh, we can come on to him if you like. Yeah. But, but no, uh, what I hoped was, was that we might get back to being a trading bloc. Yeah. Mm. Um, and if you look at the opinion polls in Europe, with the exception of a few countries, and bizarrely Luxembourg is counted as a country, um, why is it? Uh, I mean, who gives a fuck? <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it's like when when this all happened, when Brexit happened, and I I heard on the radio we were being lectured to by an Estonian. 
<laughs> what the fuck? You're telling us... You know, I do think there's a bit of terror wagging the dog. On behalf of all Eastern Europeans, I'm deeply offended by this. Uh, but <laughs> see, the great well, thing... Well, they're not Eastern Europeans. Don't forget, they're, they're pseudo-Finns. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Pseudo-Scandies. Pseudo-Scandies. Yeah, they yeah, are, actually. Yeah, the yeah. Livonian and, and order. And it's a beautiful that, yeah. country, and they're good people. What I mean is that... They're good people from a tiny, insignificant country no one gives a fuck about. But See, the good thing about offending people from Luxembourg is there's so few of them, it doesn't really matter. No, indeed. Yeah, they're, they're tiny. Look, we are where we are. What I actually wanted to talk to you about is... Uh, I think the area of agreement between us, probably more than anything, is what has happened since since the referendum, because both Francis and I voted Remain. But I, I think anyone with any sense now has to recognize that, well, I, it just doesn't make sense. We have a, a parliament that refuses to respect the wishes of the people. Yeah, yeah. We have a prime minister who's now, you could say, forced to not respect the wishes of parliament. Yeah. We've had a parliament that is just not representative of the country at all no. in terms of that crucial issue that's the only issue that... Do you know what we need to do? We need to rerun the referendum. Not the Brexit referendum. The AV referendum. Mm. Proportional representation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've always been first past the post. Always. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the House of Commons now, I mean, basically, the problem is, and always was right from the start, I mean, it was, it was something in the region of six to one in favour of Remain. Um, and every major party had a majority in favour of Remain, apart from the DUP. Um, but it's not just that, is it? You know, it's not just that. It's that my suspicion is that an awful lot of the public, um, particularly in the areas I come from, but, but I think a large proportion of the public, um, economically fairly leftish, they agree with nationalisation. The polls tend to support that. Higher taxes, yeah, we can go along with that. Improve society. Uh, higher minimum, well, yeah, we can do all that. We can do all that. But are socially quite conservative. Mm-hmm. And that is not remotely reflected in Parliament, where people are neoliberal, and they're neoliberal on the right in economics. They're neoliberal in foreign policy, which means we interfere in sovereign countries and cause murder and mayhem. And they're neoliberal or, lib- or, or liberal on social policy uh, to the degree that the vast majority of people, the obvious examples of this are on transgenderism, is, is a clear and obvious case, that the vast majority of people in the country are utterly averse. And Parliament does not reflect that. Mm. The Conservative Party doesn't reflect it. The Conservative Party for me is mindless towards the working class, Mind us towards, cares not one jot about equality, but will make every possible uh, kowtowing to a liberal social agenda, which no one agrees with. Well, I say no one. You know, it's a minority. Um, that's the big difference. And it's taken Brexit. I, don't, I just hope that some people will have woken up to that, you know. But it doesn't seem that anybody's woken up to it. In fact, it just seems that what's happened is that people are becoming more entrenched and more inflexible. Well, the Liberals are. But I think the Liberals are becoming more entrenched and more inflexible because they know their fucking days are numbered. I mean, I really do think they think that. Um, if you look at the, at the, at the uh, not at the specifics of 
cephalogy in the UK, but just the generality of it across Europe, the trend has been towards people who want no more immigration, who aren't terribly keen on, you know, uh, the, the personal uh, politics, identity politics, social issues. Don't want any of that stuff. Um, that's been the trend of the last eight to ten years, and it's getting more and more. Um, and now it's exemplified by people who we might not always like, such as Uncle Vic in Hungary. Mm. Mm. Uh, um, and and those countries are being bullied by the European Union over this. But I think there's a uh, there's an overwhelming feeling in Europe at the moment, and it's growing and growing. And which doesn't mean that they want to leave the EU necessarily, but they want it to be a different beast, and they wish this this liberal liberal elite to be lifted from their shoulders. I'm sure they think that. I'm sure they think that. But to my mind, if you've got this whole raft of people who are the people who go to university, who are the people who go to Oxford and Cambridge, and you're never going to get rid of them. You're it's never very difficult. It's it, very difficult. How are you going to do it? We're talking about Gramsci and the march through the institutions. Yes. We're talking a bit about Herbert Marcuse. Um, it is very, very difficult. I can tell you how we do it in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> there are some occasions where Russia has a point. Mm. Not many, but the BBC, for example, is a, it's, a, it's a good example. The BBC has done a brilliant job in the last 20 years of becoming more diverse ethnically. Um, when I joined the BBC, you would uh, broadcasting house, you would go through seven floors of exclusively white people till you got to the canteen on the eighth floor when it was all black. Mm. You know, that's changed, and it's good that it's changed. It's good. Could we not try some sort of legislation to ensure that there's diversity of opinion? Should it not be necessary for our big news and current affairs programmes to have a kind of broad sweep of opinion on there? Particularly given that we all pay for them. Given that we all pay for them. You know, that they should be encouraged to have diversity of opinion rather than this monolithic culture which it has at the moment. I don't, I don't see that's a problem. Now, what do you do about universities? Can you do the same thing? I think you probably can. And the universities thing, universities have always tended to the left, generally. Um, but, as we know from the statistics, they've become more and more left-wing. It's now somewhere in the region of 95%, I think, that, uh, in, in the US that it's Democrat. Um, a few things have, have, have fed into that. One of them is the fact that so many people go to university now to do utterly fucking fatuous degrees, <laughs> almost always in social sciences. Yeah. That's been the big growth area. Wank. <laughs> Gallons of wank, which will cost these poor kids 40,000 quid, you know, to come away from the Queen Mary University or the University of Westminster. Yeah. University of Westminster with a degree in gender wank <laughs> and think they're going to walk gender into wank. a top job. Um, you, you know, so, so some of the, but I, I think it's far harder. I mean, it would be more interesting to, to, to deal with the teachers as well because it's another area where, again, there is heading towards close to unanimity of opinion. 
And I, I spoke to a lad who, um, quote him in the book, who voted leave, you know, um, and he was a teacher at a school in London. And the hatred he got from colleagues, I mean, just incomprehensible hatred. Mm. You know, how, do, how the fuck do you attack that? How do you stop that? There was a headmaster of a school in Dulwich who said that if any pupil in his school said anything similar to what Donald Trump had been saying about immigration, they would be expelled, excluded. I mean, we, this is mad, you know. And I don't know what you do about that. I mean, close down the fucking teacher training colleges. You know, just what the fuck do they learn there? You know? Uh, and I think the growth of some of the free schools is an antidote to that. Mm. Mm. Well, we've had Catherine Burble Singh on the show. Mm. Well, Catherine Burble Singh should be... Our educational policy should be dictated by Catherine Burble Singh and Tony Sewell. Mm. Mm. We've had them both on. Yeah. Tony, is, Tony is a great mate and a lovely bloke. Um, and he would make a brilliant education secretary. So would Catherine. That's what you need. Mm. Yeah. And just get rid of this flaccid self-serving and contradictory toss that the kids are taught at the moment. Because this is a great thing about, and it's why liberalism is falling apart, that these identity politics, politics stuff, is it's all mutually contradictory. Yeah. And it falls apart. You tug at the one little thread of it and it falls apart like a mohair jumper knitted by the village idiot. You know, <laughs> <just> <laughs> like that. Which we saw with the protests in Birmingham about uh, sex education in schools. Yeah. Yeah. Who do we stick up for? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's is it the gays? Is it the Muslims, it the gays who, the Muslims who comes out on top? Yeah. And it's it's interesting because I'm a former teacher. I was a teacher for eleven years. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right, Rod. But no. But one thing I found very interesting is how identity politics has actually started to infect teacher training. Yeah. So, for instance, we went to a course, and one of them was about how to teach black boys. Why? That and then you had to treat them differently. No, and, and you see, this is where Tony Sewell would change the world. Mm. And the thing is, I'm sitting there going, "Well, this is just basically racism," because you're looking at somebody yeah. and you're not actually thinking, you know, what their capabilities are, how academic no. they are. You're thinking they're black. You're thinking they're black. They're male. Therefore, we have to treat them differently. Yeah. That is two, racism. Two, two, two things on that. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's racist. Um, Tony once picked up on it. Uh, a long time ago, when he first came, when I first noticed a guy, um, when there was a kind of seacoal mania. I don't know if you remember it, but it was a time when Mary Seacole, yeah. every building in Britain had to be named Seacoal House mm. because here was a black woman who would be an aspirational figure for black students. And Tony said, why should they aspire to be a fucking nurse? <laughs> <laughs> what? Just because she's got black skin. Mm. Why shouldn't they aspire to be Faraday or Shakespeare? Mm. Why do they... Why? Why? It's... it's All of this stuff is racist. Mm. It is racist. It is... It is... It is letting down, you know, a community which could have so much more to aspire to than this and corralled into this perpetual state of victimhood I, 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 it just it, I cannot it's be, crippling it's, it's crippling, crippling because yeah. what you're saying is that you will never be capable of doing what yeah, all the other right. children are that's capable right. of that's right. therefore 
because we need to put in special provisions for yeah, you. That's and right. it's also a form of narcissism because it's look what I'm a good person. Yes, look, no, that's right. It's virtue signaling. Yeah, yes, look, that's right. And but we're also doing it with boys. We we had one tr training session where we had a teacher training person come in, tell us how boys couldn't be expected to write at a desk for longer than 15 minutes. They needed to have a break. And it's it's what? just and then, you know, they have to do small targets in order to keep them engaged. And it's bollocks. I, I, have, to, I have huge problems with my, my daughter's at a grammar school. She passed her 11 plus. Uh, of course, I mean, she's got my genes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and uh, the identity politics and the propaganda is now in kind of every subject apart from maths and physics. Mm. It's in geography, English, it's everywhere. When you study Of Mice and Men by Steinbeck, you are asked, uh, what does this tell us about sexism in 1950s, 1930s, 1940s? Mm. You know, nothing about the book. It's, it's, about, it's all corralled into the, to this, this monomaniacal uh, hierarchy of victimhoods, and it's it's terribly debilitating. But as I say, I mean, the good news is it is falling apart. You know, believe me, the transgender stuff, um, the fury of the lesbian community and the feminist community, and to an increasing degree, the male gay community, it's all beginning to fall apart at the edges because, of course, it has to. Because you can't build a world like that where it's all about competing victimhoods. It's, it's an absurdity. Why do you think it has been so tremendously successful? Do you think it's because we are naturally wired for empathy and so when someone claims victimhood, we are naturally drawn mm. to go, oh, well, you feel bad, therefore I, I, I should try and take your concerns into account, even if they're not necessarily based in reality in certain instances? Do you think that's it? I think that may be why some people, that's a good explanation of why some well-meaning middle-class people may feel that. But I think that most of it devolves from the notion that um, the capitalism is bad, which it may be, uh, that it's run by white males who are therefore bad, that it, the, the Cold War comes into it, political alignment comes into it, basically that we are the white oppressive state and everyone else is de facto subjugated. I mean, I remember back in 1983, 84, uh, beginning to see this. I think that's when it began, late 70s, early 80s, um, when the National Union of Journalists were advised by the Commission for Racial Equality that henceforth, henceforth Chinese people should be described as being black. <laughs> I was on the far left at this point, and I thought, what the fuck? <laughs> and... In various places around London and Manchester, various people were going, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they really weren't happy about that. Yeah. You know, or the but, Chinese, but is, is, yeah, the don't Chinese, see them enjoying no. that. That was no. a Chinese <laughs> accent. <laughs> 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 It's a child. Come on, I, you know I'm a writer. I don't. I'm trying to perform. Um, but it, but this was an attempt, and it's 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 the root of it all to say that the Chinese people are objectively black, 
because they are subjects of an oppressive white uh, state. And everybody, and, and it's why Peter Tatchell, who I respect as a guy enormously and get on with terribly well, uh, will sometimes say to me, Muslims and gay people ought to try and make common cause against the oppression which they suffer in society. <laughs> right. I wouldn't go up any tall buildings. <laughs> I just keep it on the ground floor. The fuck? I like Peter. We've had him on the show. So he's very idealistic. Guy. He is very idealistic. Which is one of the reasons he's done what he's you know, done. Yeah. He and he's very moral yeah. and a Super good moral. guy. Yeah. You know, and he was the guy who stood up for <laughs> the Irish bakers, mm. the Northern yeah. Irish bakers. You know, mm. he believes in freedom of speech. He is a good man. But there is this blind spot. You know, we are all victims. We are all victims. You're a victim, mm. you know. You kind of aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> well, you see, that's the thing, because my mum's from Venezuela, so actually I'm a fuck. Really? Yeah, she fucking is. Yeah, you can drink now, but as a trigonometry, I mention it every episode. Do you really? Yeah, yeah, really? absolutely. Is she a Chavez fan? No, she fucking hates him. Does she's she a, really? she's a Trump yeah. fan. Yeah, she loves Trump because Trump yeah. is the only one who's actually doing yeah, something yeah, about yeah, Venezuela. So and she's Maduro. a middle class Venezuelan. Yeah, then. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but she, she despises, you know, but it's that thing of what we are all victims. We're all victims. Yeah. And and it, it, the other fascinating thing, if you've got time to talk about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a fascinating it. thing. It's a bit like with charities. That you begin by saying that you're a victim, that these people in society are victims. And you set up charities, you set up legislation. Mm. Charities begin to work for legislation. Mm. Legislation is enacted to protect those people. Yeah. But it becomes an industry. And what always happens is that it expands. So, so that, for example, with disability, at one point, there is absolutely no question that disabled people in this country had a really, really bad run of it. Mm. Probably still do in many cases. They do, actually, yeah. Because my mum's disabled. But, but, fuck your mum for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> this is my so, favourite yeah. moment of two <laughs> Sorry. Uh, a guest finally says what I've been meaning to say for a very long time. But <laughs> <laughs> well, what happens yeah. is, uh, and it's the same with gay stuff as yeah. well, it's no longer enough to say that this is a persecuted minority. Yeah. Then you have to say, actually, it's not a minority. Mm. Did you know that one in three people are disabled? Well, no, they're not. Yeah. But that's what the disabled the disability lobby will tell you. Yeah. Um, and there are now invisible disabilities. And people who are depressed will mm. get free parking. Did you know that? No. Oh, yes. Free parking for people who are depressed. We're all fucking depressed, are we not? But but it's the same with the gay lobby as well, which is undoubted um, horrible uh, discrimination. But it's not enough. Well, no, no, it's, it's we don't just want to that. It's one in three people are gay, or one in four people. Are gay. No, they're not. You know. You don't have to do that. But that's what we've done with all of this stuff. It, it, it expands exponentially until we are all victims. We can all be disabled if we want to be. I could register as disabled now. You know, my eyesight's not brilliant. Um, I'm from Middlesbrough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fat cunt. Uh, you know, um, we could all register now. Uh, and that's what we've done. We're trying to make everyone victims. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. And 
Because I was going to move on to talk about... No, no, about I was just going to say, uh, th- I'm curious still to, f- to, to prod you more on why you think that idea of victimhood has been so successful, because that is a... a, a, a a huge transformation. Because we like being victims. But but here's the thing, right? Is forty or fifty years ago we had an aspirational culture. You were you were taught to be strong, particularly if you were a man. You were taught to be strong. You were taught to be resilient. Mm. You were taught that your yeah. job as a human being is to face the challenges that yes. life throws at you. The movies that we would watch, the Sylvester Stallone in Rocky, yeah, yeah. saying life hits harder than anything you yeah. ever imagined, but it's about keeping going. We were going. being conned by a culture. We were being conned back then by a by a paternalistic patriarchal fascistic <laughs> uh, <laughs> culture. We, we were. That's what mm. they will tell you. Mm. But I think there's also something appealing in in that we are all victims. Mm. I think everybody likes it. There's power. There's power. There's power in it. And yeah, yeah, but I'd also cachet. Yeah. You know, my daughter's school. You know, uh, as soon as you start talking about transgenderism or pansexuality or grey sexuality and all the other sexualities they are, they're all signing up for them. <laughs> you know, I'm different, I'm, I'm, I'm like that. Mm. Whereas I, at school, when I was trying to be different, would strip naked and stand like Jesus Christ in front of people and scream that they were <laughs> going to be sent to hell. <laughs> uh, which I thought actually took a bit of doing. Yeah. You know, just identifying as something. You know. Suddenly your career makes a lot of sense. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. But, but it, doesn't it, isn't it also an easy get-out and saying, I'm yes. not responsible for my yes, actions. that's right. Oh, it's a condition syndrome as well. Yeah. Everything is a condition. Mm. ADHD and, I mean, the, the two obvious ones are ADHD and dyslexia. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it's very, very difficult to tell the difference between, scientifically, between someone who's dyslexic and someone, middle class mum and dad, <laughs> who's sick. <laughs> <laughs> And similarly for the, you know, ADHD. No, you're a little cunt, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Just... Yeah. Um, Francis, is that not the case with you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Take, take, is take. there more wine or are we finished? <laughs> <laughs> right, if you were wondering why there's so much swearing in this episode, we, unlike with other guests who we get a cup of tea or a coffee, <laughs> we got rather a glass of wine, hence the ensuing chaos. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, I didn't know there was no swearing. No, you can swear Especially about your mum, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? My mum is actually a massive fan of yours. I will put that clip <laughs> and send it to her. <laughs> like she'd love that. But, um, we, we, we are out of time, man. Are we out of time? We are out of time. Oh, God. I, so, wanted, I wanted to get him to slam Corbyn. I fucking hate him. Anyway. Oh, oh yeah. I'm, yeah I'm, can, I'm, can, no, I'm Jewish. I'm up for that. Yeah, so it's it. not time. difficult, is yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. I'm half Venezuelan. He loves Madhuwara. Come on, just slam him for me. He was honest and decent on Brexit for a while. Against his better interests. He was principled. He's thick as shit. I mean, we know this. It's too easy at A-level, Jesus. Yeah, sure. Uh, but also, I mean, th- there's, th- there is no imagination or... I don't think he's read properly. I don't think he reads things. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's an indulgence. His existence in the Labour Party was an indulgence. Much as I was indulgent in... 1976, when I joined the Socialist Workers' Party, I knew at 16 that we weren't going to hand out weapons at ICI and take over the country. Mm. You know, it was a bit of fun. All that lot are stuck in that 
pre-adolescent mindset, it is, it is astonishing. Simon Evans has this great joke in his new show where he talks about how, um, he, t- he talks about all the different politicians and makes fun of both sides. And then he goes with Jeremy Corbyn, of course, he started in student politics where he remains to this day. Well, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> it. I mean, it is just, and it's the, it's the fucking affluent who fall for it. Mm-hmm. That being said, I know quite a lot of people in London, and, and try to work this out psychologically, who vote for Jeremy Corbyn and then pray he doesn't get in. You know, that, that is kind of the lefty virtue signaling writ large, isn't it? Mm. You know? mm. Well, on that happy note, Rod, uh, we've got just one more question for you, yeah. which is what is the one thing that no one's talking about that we ought to be talking about? Uh, animal rights. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm really, really dull on animal rights. They're going to have to cut this. Um, I think animal rights are, 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 is one of the big issues. Uh, there's two things. There's rights for working class people who I don't class in the same group as animals. Uh, um, myself. I thought about making that joke, but yeah, I was like, no, no, I better not. But you did it. Fantastic. I have no reserves. This is a problem with um, so it's two things. I think we need identity politics for the working class, and I also think we need to. Uh, I think we need to clamp down on the abuse of uh, uh, animals raised for food. And if anyone ever suggests bringing back a fox hunting bill, they should actually be shot uh, through the head uh, with a kind of bolt gun or a rail gun. If you see the new rail guns. Um, so those two things, those, those are two things. I'm just curious, so you think we need identity politics for the working class rather than just moving away from identity politics in general? I was being a bit flippant, oh, okay. but by and large, that's the one identity which is never identity. No, it isn't. It isn't. Yeah. But my, my point is I think we need to remove identity politics yeah, as a sure, thing. Sure, rather sure. Than, of course you do. Yeah. Of course you do. You do it on economics. Yeah. yeah. I just think uh, one concern for me with identity politics is it pushes people who are not represented by it into their own identity. And then you suddenly get, you know, 10 million straight white men going, oh, yeah, well, we are d- discriminated against because we're straight white men. That's not going to end very well. No, but that will happen. Well, yeah. that's my point. Yeah. That, that will happen. Yeah. Which is why no, no, I sure. don't think we need sure, that. Sure, sure. I, I mean, it's actually a quote from Morris, uh, when I, uh, Morris Glassman. Mm. Um, he says, you know, the Labour Party has all this identity politics, but none of it about the people it was set up to represent. Yeah. And that, that's roughly yeah. where I'm from. That's it. Which is why you should vote for the Social Democrats. That camera's not on me, is it? <laughs> it's probably another one. We switched one, it off a long time. Can I have a drink now? Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. we're going to grab you a drink, Rod. We're so keeping I'm... all of this in. Yeah. Uh, Rod, thanks so much, for, so much for coming on. Uh, check out Enjoy Rod's it. columns. As you can see, he's uh, an edgy and very funny man uh, with some very good ideas. Uh, as always, follow us, because uh, you're not on social media. I know this for a fact, right? Facebook? Yeah, or follow, yeah uh, follow Rod on Facebook. He's pretty active on there. Uh, Should I be on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd, yeah. you'd get cancelled very quickly, which would be great for your career. Yeah. Okay. Do you know what being cancelled is? Kicked off because I'm. No, no. Being cancelled is like where people start calling for you to be removed from your newspaper, yeah. not being allowed to to write anymore. Like, well, all they that. do that already. Yeah, but on Twitter, that that would be a lot better. So you should definitely yeah. get on it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank so, you. so when Rod gets on Twitter, follow him on Twitter. Uh, as always, follow us at TriggerPod on all the social media. Uh, we're going to do a very quick outro, and we will see you in a week from now. Absolutely. See you soon, guys.
Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.